Today I will be reading from Genesis 8, verses 20 to 22, Deuteronomy 11, verses 10 to 17, and 2 Peter 3, verses 3 to 10. Genesis 8, verses 20 to 22. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Deuteronomy 11, verses 10 to 17. The land you are entering to take over is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you planted your seed and irrigated it by foot as in a vegetable garden. But the land you are crossing the Jordan to take possession of is a land of mountains and valleys that drinks rain from heaven. It is a land the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are continually on it from the beginning of the year to its end. So if you faithfully obey the commands I am giving you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain, new wine and olive oil. I will provide grass in the fields for your cattle and you will eat and be satisfied. Be careful or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you and he will shut up the heavens so that it will not rain and the ground will yield no produce and you will soon perish from the good land the Lord is giving you. 2 Peter 3 verses 3 to 10 Above all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, Where is this coming, he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's own words, the heavens came into being, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Thank you. So I'm going to uh, be looking at the next of our hands, uh, part of our hands series. And uh, these are designed so that we can, I guess, get some practical skills about how we are to think about uh, the earth or the things in, in, in the world. And today I'm going to attempt to do something dangerous, and that is to give you a biblical way to approach environmentalism. Uh, now, I realize that in many ways this is a fraught topic, and the reason it's fraught is because we're in the midst of uh, kind of a divisive debate about how we ought to deal with the environment. As it stands, there are two opposite ways 
uh, that, that kind of get presented in the world. And both of these ends of the spectrum, if you like, have a Christian overlay. So, uh, on the one hand, you have the view of the, um, let's call them the industrialist capitalist person, who says that, uh, you know, we, what is good for the world is if we take the resource of the earth and we, uh, we produce things with it that makes jobs, that gives people money, that makes good products. And so, we, have, um, we actually have a, a right or a responsibility to do as much of this as possible because it's good for people. On the other side of the spectrum, we've got uh, what, what I call the modern-day envi- environmentalism movement that says that the earth is about to explode uh, and die, burn up. Uh, we are on the brink of disaster and we need to do everything in our power, otherwise everything is going to die, including us. And so all uh, production, all factories, all fossil fuel usage, all of these things need to stop, they need to stop immediately, um, otherwise we will all die. Those are the two ends of the spectrum. Now, they both have Christian overlays. Uh, the, the industrialist, capitalist Christian says, um, actually, God gave us the earth, He gave it to us as a gift, and we have a responsibility to use its resources uh, to bring about good things in the world. And the environmentalist Christian will say, yes, but God is also, He loves the earth. He's, uh, he He wants us to steward our resources well. It's responsible as a lover of Christ to look after the earth well. And so, where do we go with that is the question I'm going to attempt to answer today. But what I'd like to suggest to you is that uh, Scripture is actually incredibly nuanced on this issue. Uh, it, It doesn't provide us maybe the far right end of the spectrum, and it doesn't give us the far left end of the spectrum either. And so I've called this sermon, Looking After the Earth While We Wait for It to Burn, because I think that is the biblical perspective, and that's also a nice dramatic title, so it works. So let's first start with Looking After the Earth. Now, when you open up your news app, or your, uh, if you're old school, you open up the newspaper, uh, or you read your Instagram story, or your Twitter thread, or your threads thread, or whatever, uh, you will hear about how environmental action is needed right now, uh, that if we don't get our act into gear, we will uh, not be able to avert the climate disaster that is essentially almost irreversible at this stage. Just, I think, last night or in the last couple of days uh, at the UN, uh, one of the speakers said, we have now moved beyond global warming and we are now in global boiling. Um, and so, uh, that's, that's what we are uh, told. You know, we, we all know what we're told to do. We have to become carbon neutral. We have to stop polluting. We have to start recycling. We sing songs about, you know, uh, uh, put away your DDT and leave me the spots on my apples, right? Um, our world leaders signed things like the Paris Climate Accords, and there is this deep concern for the future uh, about rising sea levels that put coastal towns and nations in danger. We are told we have to move away from fossil fuels today to renewable energy. We uh, have to move from petrol cars to electric. Uh, We have to install solar panels and get wind generators and fill the landscape with windmills. And the story goes that unless we do this, and we do this now, the world will end. Climate change will destroy nations. There will be mass extinction events, including of humans, because we will die from starvation. 
uh, habitats will be irreparably damaged, and the world as we know it will come to an end. And it is for this reason that people uh, like Greta Thunberg feel justified as a 16-year-old in addressing the United Nations, the leaders of the world, with her now infamous speech, How Dare You, where she says, You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. People are suffering, people are dying, entire ecosystems are collapsing, we are at the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of economic growth. How dare you? That's the narrative. That's the story. And what I want to do is just think about that together for a moment. What our modern-day environmentalism movement is, uh, is actually saying is, the end is nigh, therefore repent of your ways. They are the modern-day doomsayers. And the message is that unless you act now, the world cannot be saved, but if we do act now, there is still chance. The world can be saved. There is a tremendous appeal to, uh, to us uh, in this way of thinking, so much so that in many ways the church has bought into it. I mean, it makes sense, right? When God created the world, He put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to tend it, to look after it, to steward it. We are supposed to look after the earth. That's what Christians are supposed to do. Why? Because when we do so, we are doing the work that God has originally created us to do, to steward the garden, to look after the earth. Our stewardship of the earth is a task that God has given uh, people even before the fall into sin. And as people who have been redeemed and saved by Christ, uh, we are supposed to, uh, as much as is possible, do what we were created to do. This is what Paul writes about in Colossians 1, uh, 19 to 20, where, uh, speaking of Jesus, he said, For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile everything to Himself, whether the things on earth or the things in heaven, making peace by His blood shed on the cross. All things are redeemed. Redemption of the earth is possible and it is our purpose uh, because we have been redeemed by Christ's blood. The curse of sin is paid for by Jesus on the cross. It is undone in Jesus' body. And so just as the curse of sin on humanity is broken, so too the curse on the ground of this earth is to be undone by Jesus' body, that is, the church. God loves the world. He loves the earth. That's what God says here in our reading uh, in Deuteronomy. So, so the context here is that Israel is about to enter into the land of Canaan that God has, has given them, uh, you know, given to them. And he says, this is a land of mountains and valleys. And, and it is a land that the Lord your God cares for. His eyes are always on it. He's always watching over it. Year after year, he does this. In the same way, Psalm 24, which we read at the start of our service here, said, The earth and everything in it, the world and all its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. He laid the foundation of the seas, He established its rivers. God's love for the earth is talked about in many places in Scripture. He loves, he loves the earth. He loves the animals, for example. So in the story of Jonah, you know, the one with the big fish, uh, Jonah is told to go and preach to the people of Nineveh. Nineveh is this evil city. 
And eventually, after a bit of back and forth, Jonah goes, and the people uh, change their ways. They repent. They turn to God. They cry out to God. They say, we're sorry that we've, we've done all these bad things. And then uh, God does not send the disaster that he had warned he would send unless they change their ways. And Jonah gets quite upset about this because he didn't want Nineveh to be saved. Nineveh was the enemy of Israel after all. And God's response to him I think is so helpful for us when we think about uh, God's love for the earth. He says uh, to Jonah, so may I not care about this great city of Nineveh which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish their right from their left, so they don't know what's good and bad. And then the last phrase in the book of Jonah is, so God says, am I not allowed to care for all these people and also her many cattle? God loves the animals. He loves the world, He loves the animals, and He actually claims personal ownership over the earth. Psalm 50, every animal of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills I own. I know every bird of the mountains, the creatures of the field are mine. If I were, uh, if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and everything is in it is mine. And in fact, the most famous verse in the entire Bible talks about God's love for the world. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. It's that God loved the world, not just the people. He came to redeem not just the people, He came to redeem the creation over which He claims ownership. And so as Christians, we are absolutely responsible for looking after the earth, to tend for it, to, to, to care for it. That is part of who we are. But there is something deeply wrong and deeply unbiblical with this environmentalism movement that is, I guess, all the rage today. Because it is driven by an ungodly fear about the future. It has tremendous faith in humanity, which is unjustified. So to quote our friend and high priestess of environmentalism, Greta, again, she made the following comments just this week after she appeared in court for failing to uh, listen to what the police were telling her to do at a protest she was at. She says this, says, I believe that we are in an emergency that threatens life, health and, uh, and property. Countless people and communities are at risk both in the short term and in the long term. That is the voice of someone who is driven by fear. Everything's going to die unless we do it now. But with it comes uh, over-exaggerated faith in humanity. She says, we know that we cannot save the world by playing by the rules because the laws have changed. Now, what she's saying is that if we break the law, we can actually save the earth. We can save the world. But she truly believes that if everyone in the world just got on board with this environmentalism agenda, everything would be fine. That's far too much faith in humanity. Friends, we won't save the world even if the whole world from China to North Korea to Somalia to Sweden adopted the most greenest approach to doing things. That's not going to save the world because people are broken. You see, the church that buys into environmentalism rather than looking after the environment 
uh, when we make that the main aim of the church or our lives, we have forgotten the most fundamental thing we are to do as Christians. We have wandered from our first love, from our task of preaching the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done for the world. And the reason we as Christians actually cannot sign up to the environmentalism agenda is that because ultimately it will not save us. The world will not be redeemed by recycling. It will not be saved by solar panels. And Greta's God is not our God. We might say, how dare she distract the church from her first love. So will God redeem everything to himself? Yes, he does. And he does so through the people that he is saving for himself. But it does not matter how green your conscience is if your heart is black with sin. And our deepest need as people is not our fogo bins. It is a restored relationship with Christ. And so the church, while agreeing with the fact that we need to look after the earth, that we have this responsibility as Christians, know that that is not the main responsibility as Christians. There is absolutely no point to saving the environment if the people in the world will perish eternally. Humanity's deepest need is a restored relationship with God, not a restored rainforest. And so environmentalism is fear-based and it puts far too much faith in humanity. But the biggest issue they have is that the modern environmentalism movement denies parts of Scripture. Yes, we are to look after the earth, but we are to do so with our eyes on the future, knowing that in fact one day the world will be burnt up. This is what we read in that passage from to Peter. Because here's the thing that environmentalism cannot account for. God actually gave us the earth not just in the form of a garden to tend, but as a raw material to be worked. God gave the earth in its raw form to humanity. And listen to what he says to Adam and Eve way back in Genesis chapter 1. This is before the fall of sin, right? So God blesses them in, in chapter 1 verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. Now, we often think about the fill the earth and the multiply bit, but we don't focus on the fact that God commands Adam and Eve to subdue the earth. Now, the Hebrew word here is kabash, which means to subdue by force, that is to trample, to bring under subjugation. When it is used of people or nations, it means to use your superior military power to conquer and even to enslave. Every time this word is used, it means that you are to use your power, your might, to forcibly change things for your own benefit. And this is the important part. It is always at the expense of the thing that is being kabashed. Okay? So if you're subjugating another nation, you are enslaving them with your power and your military force, and that results in good things for your people. You've got slaves now, or you, maybe you're stealing their resources. You get to tax them, perhaps, uh, and, and they've got to bring tribute to you as a nation under your rule. But it is always at the expense of the other nation. 
They are worse off for having been subjugated. The thing that ends up being kabashed is always worse off, but it is good for the thing that is kabashing. Okay, do we understand that? Now we have to recognize that this command is given to us before the fall of sin by God. God explicitly commands Adam and Eve to subjugate the earth, to, in essence, extract the good from it and to use it for their own purposes with their power. They are to make the world subservient and useful to them. Now, this is not part of the environmentalism movement. It's not part of the story we are told. For the modern-day environmentalism movement is not of God. Actually, the environment, the earth, is ruled by God. He has given it to us as a gift to be developed, to be subdued, to bring into useful things the things that are here, to use the resources we have to produce good things. And in fact, if you look at the bigger picture story of Scripture, you know that humanity starts in a garden, but it ends in a garden city. If you believe that Jesus, uh, in Jesus, you will one day end up in this garden city in Revelation, a city that will exist here on earth that won't look like, you know, the concrete depression factories our modern cities are, but it will be a garden city. But a city is a city. It is a thing that has been developed out of the resources that are in the earth. It cannot exist apart from having worked the resources that exist in the ground. And so we actually have a biblical mandate, a command from God, to use the good things of the earth to make and produce good things and beautiful things out of it. That is part of our job. But the industrialist capitalist cannot use that argument to say, therefore, we must just keep on going, dig up your oil, destroy the world, uh, do whatever you want in order to make good things. Because that is not being responsible with the way in which we uh, you know, produce our resources. The other thing I want to say is we should not fear that climate change is going to destroy the world or that somehow the seasons are going to stop existing or that the world is no longer under God's control unless we worship at the altar of the high priestess of the environment. You see, friends, God will end this world when He is good and ready. And until that day, God actually makes us a promise that He will keep the season happening. That's what He says to Himself when Noah comes out of the ark. Genesis 8.22 As long as the earth endures, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will not cease. This is God speaking. He is making a promise. As long as the earth endures, while I am not good and ready to bring it to an end, God will make sure that the earth remains, that the regular patterns of weather will continue. Yes, there will be changes, micro-changes within, but seed time and harvest, summer and winter, day and night, will continue. That is a promise of God. And so if we buy into this fear-based narrative that the world is going to end, we actually aren't putting faith and trust in God. And just as the world, he said, said this, just after the world was actually covered in water. 
right? The modern day environmentalism movement says rising sea levels, we're going to be covered by water, but God makes a promise here, right after the world was covered in water, that He will make it continue. And so for us to worry about the future, buying into this fear of the world being covered in water because of rising sea levels is a lack of trust in God's sovereignty and power. The world will end when God is good and ready. And here's the thing, when that happens, when that happens, when God has decided it's time for the world to end, it's going to end no matter how much environmentalism uh, action we take now, no matter how far our carbon emissions drop and no matter how much we recycle. And no matter how much oil we produce or how many forests we cut down or how much plastic we make, God will bring the end by fire when He's good and ready. And the earth will be reborn after it is burnt up. That's what 2 Peter 3 is all about. I read here from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 5. Uh, by the same word, the present heavens and the earth are stored up for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction for the ungodly. Friends, don't overlook this fact. The Lord, the, with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord does not delay His promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come uh, to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and on that day the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. In the end, this earth will be burnt by fire. It will be refined as something going through a furnace. Yes, we need to look after the earth. It is right and good for us to do so. But we can relax a bit too because we do not need to fear the future. It is securely held in God's hands. And so do you see how useful Scripture is here at making sense of the world? The Bible is incredibly nuanced. Yes, we're actually allowed to use the resources of the world. In fact, we're commanded to do so. But to do so in a way that brings beauty makes the world a better place. At the same time, you can't just go make the world a wasteland. Why? Because the earth and everything in it belongs to the Lord. Do you see how nuanced that is? The capitalist industrialist will say, yes, as long as there is profit, I will continue to subjugate these resources for my profit. The Bible says, no, you can't do that. God loves the earth. He cares for the cattle on a thousand hills. Use the, way, the resources in a way that recognizes God's love for the earth. But the environmentalist will say, turn the earth back to its original state. If we don't change our ways now, the world will come to an end. But the Bible says no. The resources are a gift from God to be used. And God will end the world when He is good and ready. So you don't need to buy into that fear while at the same time we need to recognize that we are to care for the earth. It's very balanced, very nuanced. But that then leads me to the question, why? And I want to finish with this. Why is this this incredible nuance within Scripture? And I'd like to suggest to you it is because God has a purpose for the way the world has developed up till now. The Industrial Revolution, which is largely the cause of the climate change we see today, is actually part of God's plan. 
The development of fossil fuel technologies were part of God's sovereign plan. When the world one day ends in fire and be reborn, that too is part of God's plan. And in the meantime, He's allowed all of these things to happen uh, because God has a plan that He has been working out since the fall into sin. The reason the world is not yet burnt up is because God is not ready for it. He gives us the reason for this plan in, in 2 Peter verse, uh, 3 verse 9. He says, The Lord does not delay His promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but to come to repentance. In other words, everyone who will one day live with God and be surrounding the throne of Jesus singing praises to Him, all believers are not yet part of the kingdom. Not everyone who has been chosen and elect has yet come to faith and therefore God has allowed the development of things to go the way they have because it's not yet time. And the full number of the elect do not yet trust in Christ. The church has, still has work to do. And so our response to the world situation is yes, to use the resources of the earth, yes, to care for the earth, but our first priority is still to make disciples, to share the gospel with those who do not yet believe. Because in the end, the earth will disappear and our time will be up when God is good and ready. And so right now, our task is to look after the earth while we wait for it to burn. But in the meantime, we have to focus on sharing the good news of Jesus and to make disciples. And that's what I think. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for, I guess, the, the incredible nuance uh, with which you give us instruction to look after the earth and to, and to work it as well. There is true balance here that we have to admit that we get wrong all the time. And the reason we get it wrong, Lord, is because we are not following you perfectly, that our hearts are still sinful, that we, uh, that we don't hear clearly from you because we don't yet know you as well as we should. And so we pray that you will take the truths of this morning and plant them deep in our hearts. Where we are sinfully destroying your world, we pray for forgiveness and we pray that you, are, that you will help us to, uh, to serve you well in this way. And yet where we have bought into an uh, ungodly pattern of looking after the earth, we also want to for, you know, pray for forgiveness for that. May you turn our hearts back to our first love, our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to see our real purpose in the world, our primary purpose in the world, which is to make disciples. And so we pray that you will bless us as we seek to do that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.